This is the Brisbane Football Review with your host, James Coglin. It's a miracle this got off the ground in the first place. Scott Owen. Adam, that's Park de Prix. Put some respect on the home of Queensland football. And Adam Pace. Look, I think of what other choice you have. Starting now. Good evening, everybody. It is Monday on the Brisbane Football Review as we prepare to wrap up another busy week as we get set for a double show as it's James Scott and Adam here with you on Clutch Radio to recap a pair of Brisbane Raw losses for the first show of the week in this podcast, or as Scott may have called me last night on NPL Sunday, the interloper. But we also have... It's good to see that you're listening. Yes, exactly. Well, someone has to. But then what what we've got also coming up is a very special uh, double up with um, Alex and Liam from the Queensland Socceroos fans to recap the uh, unfortunate loss to Japan last Thursday night and discuss what's really going on with the Socceroos as they now prepare for their final group stage match and the playoffs. However, this is the Brisbane Roar and a little bit of NPL-focused version of the show. Scott, how are you? I'm good. I'm just hiding from you after your offence at that interloper yesterday. Yes, well, I may come up uh, through the Skype call and slap the you-know-what out of you a la Will Smith, but uh, I think I might show a little bit of restraint. Adam, how are you? I'm good. Uh, I think our, our recording schedule at the moment is about as unpredictable as the Raws as far as, as uh, the uh, games remain in the A-League men. So, uh, yeah, but uh, a Monday night. I think this, is, this might be your first, I think. I actually think we may have done one or two because I feel like I can remember showing up in full NFL gear for a show. I think we did a couple back in 2020, didn't we, when the Raw pretty much played every single day. With yes. Not, they played all, all seven days of the week. With the, um, <laughs> the bubble thing down in Sydney. So I'm sure we have recorded on a Monday. I'm sure we have too. All right, so we'll move on now and get into the show because we do have Alex and Liam coming up for episode two of this week. But before we do that, we'll do the usual plugs. This is the Brisbane Football Review on Clutch Radio. And if you want to get in touch with us, email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com, Facebook, The Raw Review, Twitter, at BNE Football, and we're also on Instagram, on those social accounts, you can find live coverage of all senior matches for Brisbane Raw across the A-League men's and women's. And also, we are pleased to be on Clutch Radio, the home of NPL TV. And if you want to catch up on the podcast, you can listen to all of our back catalogue on Wooshka, A-League Live, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and several other good podcast outlets. Now, the first Raw game that we do have to recap is the 2-1 loss to City out at Morton Daly Stadium last Wednesday evening, and, well, all things considered, Scott, you knew it was going to be a hard game to read. Melbourne City missing quite a few key players because uh, they were on Socceroos duty, and the Raw, they battled, but to me, what my big takeaway from the game was that you could really see the difference between the chasing pack, you know, the rest of the A-League, including the Brisbane Raw, and the current pace setters in Melbourne City. Yeah, I think that's pretty much the way the game went. Is that the Raw started well in fairness, and they scored once again in the first 10 minutes there. So they got themselves off to a really good start. Just unfortunately, they couldn't see the game through from that very good opening position. I think you're right. I think the more the game went on Melbourne City, they came into it more and more. And we might, we'll talk about the soccer's absences later on on the other show. But I think even without those players, Melbourne City were really strong, weren't they? That's the sort of depth that they've got down there at Melbourne City this year. It's a very good squad. and. We saw those players come through and do really well. So 
it's it. I think it really does illustrate that there is a bit of a gap between those teams at the top and at the bottom. We spoke about it on the show last week. It would these two games would be a really good gauge of where Brisbane were at in terms of this season. Can they push and make the six and all the rest of it? I think we learn a bit this week, but I think there is a bit of a gap, isn't there, between the top and the bottom? It was, and that's not to say the Raw weren't missing a couple of players here and there as well. We saw Corey Brown getting interviewed at halftime by the Paramount Plus broadcast. But it was the guys that were still there for City, Adam, that really did seem to make the difference. Tom Glover, Curtis Good, and I don't know how he isn't in the Socceroos, Andrew Naboo. Yeah, look, is this, I think my overall takeaway from this is that it was a game where I think it probably shaped down to where um, a draw would have been probably a fair result, except, except the fact is that City took their chances and the Raw did not. And uh, at the end of the day, that is the difference between the top teams and the also-rants is when the opportunity presents itself, uh, like I said, they're, they're the ones that you know that will take all three points, whereas probably a lesser team would probably have settled for a draw. So, um, so yeah, look, but uh, look, City still had enough um, top-line players, but also as well, they're, they're youngsters as well. Um, uh, they've got they've got an impressive group of you know players coming through. Though I think that we may have they may be in sort of their younger sort of you know inexperienced state now. But I reckon two or three years time you know with with experience, then they could all shape up as first team players because they certainly look the part. You can make all the jokes you want about the resources Melbourne City have compared to a lot of other clubs in the A leagues, but yeah, just the way that they've built that squad, have, having that. Uh, dearth of young talent to call on uh, Rafael Borges Rodriguez who scored what turned out to be the match winning goal was a bit of a misfortune from Kai Truen for the Raw's own goal as well where it was just the ball drilled across the face of the goal Scott and not really a whole lot he could do about it in his defence yeah it was one of those weeks unfortunately wasn't where th- things that could go wrong for the Raw did go wrong they had an own goal on Sunday as well Saturday as well which we'll get to but no again it's they played pretty well, actually. But the Raw did play well in the game, and they probably were worthy of a point. But, again, they're just not able to take their chances in the front third, is it? And there was interesting the rotation that they went through, James, in that one. There was no Juan Lascano in that game after he did quite well at the weekend prior. So, obviously, there is still some kind of rotation that has to happen, but it just seems like there's just no consistent game-in, game-out outlet that the Raw can seemingly rely on. It was good to see Henry Hoare on the score sheet, though, once again as well. It was a really good... Finally, a short corner routine actually works. Finally, so many clubs tried the short corner routines and one finally worked. So congratulations to the players and the coaching staff for coming up with a routine that works because it was a good finish. But just unfortunately, in the front third, the Raw aren't quite consistent enough, are they? Unfortunately, they weren't. And it wasn't for a lack of opportunity as well. Just looking up some of the stats as well. 16 attempts, 6 shots on goal compared to Melbourne City who had 2 goals off 1 shot on goal. Don't you love it when that happens as well? It's like... um. The Perth in the 2012 Grand Final where they had one goal with zero shots on target, Adam. Yeah, well, that, that, that's my point. Is that, <laughs> uh, and, and the goal, the, the game-winning goal, which, uh, which was early on in the uh, second half, it really was, again, a fundamental you know, mistake as far as the Raw's uh, set-piece defence. That, you know, that, that, that ball was only going to come back from one way from Andrew Naboo. And, and, and for Rafael Borges-Rodriguez to be on, that, on the far post pretty much unmarked, um, that, that's, at the end of the day, that, they're the moments that separate the teams that have been playing finals football and teams that are going to be struggling to make it because uh, that, that, to me, like I said, it was two blemishes, but that was enough for City that on paper looked, you know, again, a couple of experienced players and then a lot of youngsters. 
Um, that's the difference. They're the ones that walk away with three points. And the Raw, you know, again, who probably, you know, deserved a little bit more, but, you know, come up with nothing. And that seemingly has been a little bit of the story of the season for the Raw, where Sean Sines have, you know, created chances, but it just hasn't quite le- been able to... They, as a whole of the squad, just haven't really been able to land that killer blow that, you know, maybe they... If they had have, uh, they had have been the ones to take a 2-1 lead... I think City would have kept going, but I'm not sure they would have necessarily been able to find a way through. However, we can talk about hypotheticals all we want, but because Curtis Good what... was pretty good for Melbourne City actually in that game. I know. Unfortunately, he wasn't included in that 50-player squad, which was why they didn't call up because Patrick Kisoma was asked quite repeatedly in that, about that in the press conference, and he basically said he wasn't in the 50-player squad, so we didn't have to release him, so we didn't. Simple, uh, simple th- as thank that. Go- thank goodness for for City because that would have left them with pretty much no uh, no recognised uh, defenders uh, other, other than um, young Karen Stokes and um, but name escapes me. The other defender was um, that that guy that uh, played for uh, Arsenal. Sorry, at one point. Uh, George Jordan Hall. And the guy that played yeah, for so, Arsenal at one point. Yeah. He was on the bench. So and, and for, also Nuno Reyes also um, he was ruled out because of COVID. So. Yeah, so I guess also as well, I reckon there was a lot of self-interest as well for why City didn't uh, release Coast Good, and I think for them on Wednesday night, thank God, because he was a he was a standout for them. Well, on, on that as well, and we will discuss the Socceroos uh, in our second episode coming out uh, later this week, but I, I actually don't really have a problem with City exerting their rights, because this isn't a, you know, one one hand holding the other sort of thing. This is a club looking at doing what it is entitled to by the letter of the law. And my my general approach to a lot of these things is, you know, play, uh, learn the rules, find the ways to uh, make them work to your advantage within the uh, within reason. And if you're doing what's right by the letter of the law, you're fine, Scott. Yeah, I mean, they could call it 50 players, which is double the amount of players you pick in a squad of 23 plus four more. So obviously Curtis Good wasn't good enough to be considered amongst what there's eight defenders in in a twenty three player squad. So yep. he wasn't he wasn't picked in the best sixteen defenders. Which you can have your own opinion. Which is outrageous. You can have your own opinion whether he should be or he shouldn't be. The fact is he wasn't. So I think Melbourne City were well within their rights not to pick him. It's like it's like every time the national team plays, before the final twenty three, which we all see get announced publicly, there's always an extended squad that goes out to the club. So we might call up your player. And if you don't send that, you close the door. It's as simple and, as that. And they didn't send it to City about Curtis Good. I, I respect them for saying, no, we're not going to release him. And this actually reminds me of something I would have heard. It would, I think it might have been like back in 2019 or so uh, when Fox actually you know, paid attention to the A-League as well, where um, Adam Peacock did a sit-down, I believe, with Graham Arnold. And he was talking about the process where like, the job for any national team head coach, and this is something that Arnold was talking about, like he's in constant communication with just about every uh, player on his radar's uh, senior club. Just talking about how, you know how they're going um, over the last few weeks, and that you know you always joke that a national team manager's only needed about ten uh, weekends per year, but I think that's one of the behind the scenes things. So it's not like Graham Arnold wouldn't have been talking to Kiz Norbo about the possibility of selecting Curtis Good either. So yeah, it seems like it was a bungle at the top and Melbourne City. Uh, played the system to their advantage. I wouldn't even call it playing to their advantage. I think, I actually think that Melbourne City here, believe it or not, I can't believe I'm saying this, but they're actually the victims in this. I actually think that, 
yeah, that, that the Socceroos, the national team, have completely stuffed this up. And then it's like they sort of try and cherry pick after the fact. And in that case, and I said this, and Patrick Kiznorbo said this in the in the press conference, they will within their right say no, he's our player, we need him. So I think I wouldn't get, yeah, I wouldn't even categorize it as veg. I think the that the national team has stuffed this up, and at the end of the day, City are I think are in the right. Yep. Okay, we will save some of that vitriol yep. for the <laughs> Socceroos show coming up. Later on, I think I've plugged it about five times in the last ten minutes, so um, we'll just keep a running tally of that. Speaking of things the national team stuffs up. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's the episode title for you. Um, yeah. We will wrap up the City loss with Player of the Year vote. Scott, it's your yes. turn. Okay, so three points for Henry Hoare, really good goal. Two, Nick Olsen, and one for Cyrus Demi. Had a good impact off the bench. There we go. Now, Saturday evening, the Raw were back at Redcliffe to take on former coach John Luisi, former goalkeepers uh, Jamie Young and Michael Theo, the goalkeeping coach for Western United, former striker Dylan Wenzel-Hawes, former midfielder Stephen Lustica, and I'm sure probably a few former fans who have jumped on the new bandwagon who live down in Melbourne. And it was the same scoreline as it was on Wednesday night. The Raw... Actually, it wasn't the same scoreline. It was the same outcome as the Raw went down to Western United, three goals to two, but... All things considered, am I crazy, Adam, for thinking that they lost, but there were more positives than negatives to take from this game? Well, we, I'm sure we're going we're to get to unpack it shortly, and I think it's going to be quite be quite discussion. Big picture but, uh, at the moment. Look, the game the game pretty much changed around the half hour mark with it with the uh, red card to Jordan Holmes. So I think everything after that, I think the Raw were playing, obviously were playing with 10 men. I think it was a very, very credible effort as far as, you know, having, and they, and they had their chances to, to uh, get something out of it. It's just that um, Western United held their, held their nerve and end up, you know, end up taking all three points. But um, look, I think there's a, there's a lot to like, I think from character point of view, as far as, you know, I guess sort of morals and whatnot about the Raw's performance, especially after the send-off. But then again, um, character and morals are not going to get you up the ladder. At the end, it's another three points gone. Scott? Firstly, Raw fans in Melbourne are going to have your head for that that, that comment about switch, switching teams. There's, great, there's a lot of Raw fans down in Melbourne, as you see it every game. But I do think, well, to your point, the Raw actually did have there were a lot of positives, wasn't there? I mean, again, they started the game really well, scored in the first two minutes, put Jamie Young under a lot of pressure, really good, in, really good pressing from Jack Hingott to create that goal for Juan Lascano. And again, they started really well. And the game was pretty much... I thought they were... I don't know if they were in control, but they were certainly comfortable in the game right up until the red card, which obviously changed the game, which we'll get into. But even after that in the second half, the Raw pushed forward and I think they created almost more opportunities than Melbourne City did with 11. So there certainly is a lot of positives you can take out of it. But Adam's point, you need points at this time of the year and unfortunately, it's another three points which slipped through the net. Yeah, unfortunately for the Raw... I- they took it. They started off really well, and I think we all were on the same page, thinking they need to get out to an early uh, lead against Western United, who's originally very stingy defence, just hasn't been quite as uh, sharp in the last few games leading up to this one. And they got yeah a perfect start where um, yeah Hingit, I thought that might have been his best performance of the season. Spoiler alert for the Player of the Year votes. But yeah, closed down uh, Jamie Young well. Lascano was there uh, to benefit with the opening goal of the game. But then it did change on the half-hour mark to Jordan Holmes. But in the build-up to that, 
it looks like Western United's only real chance of causing the Raw any sort of danger uh, came at set pieces, where they have some big, big boys in their team, Western United, and that would seem like their main path forward. And, you know, they know, they know what sort of team they are. They knew how, to try, how they felt their best chance to attack the Raw was. But it, I kind of felt like the Raw were dealing with it quite well until the half-hour mark where Jordan Holmes was sent off for uh, a not-last-man... or a kind of last-man foul and denial of a goal-scoring opportunity on Lockie Wales. Adam, we'll go to you first for your thoughts. Was it a red card? Uh, look, for me, yes. Uh, at, look, at the end of the day, uh, it, wa- it was, for me, mine, a professional foul. De- a denial of... A denial of you no know, obvious goal scoring chance because I think I think as most people would see it that you know if Jordan Holmes doesn't doesn't you know lay, lay a hand on Lockie Wales and he goes down he probably rounds him he probably shoots into an empty net. Um, at the end of the day, I think also as well from a guidelines point of view, I don't think referees like seeing you know goalkeepers come out of their area to foul players. Generally speaking. Uh, even even that far out, we're talking 30 yards out. Um, they, generally, any contact uh, there's a foul. Generally, is is in marginals unless it's like you've, you've got two or three players back there um, trying trying to defend. So it's for, for mine. Um, I, I think it was a red card. I I, I have no problems. With the only question I th- I understand where the question was 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 there sufficient contact? That's the only thing in my mind that whether it whether it should have been, you know, a or should it should have been anything, is uh, whether it was contact. But I think enough people have said said to me, sort of talking at the ground, was that yes, there was contact. Yeah, for me, contact was uh, like quite clear. I think there was a clip on from Holmes on Lockie Wales's leg, but that wasn't for me what defined the thing. Scott, what about you? Yeah, I thought. I- I agree with Adam. I thought it was. A, I thought it was a red card. I mean, it was. There, there was contact there, and let's just be honest about it. If there's no contact there, Lockie Wells is getting around Jordan Holmes. He's going to get to that ball first, and it's an empty net, about 25 yards from goal, on a pretty good angle. It should be one-one at that point. It's, it is an obvious goal-scoring opportunity, and I think the referee had only one choice he could make there, unfortunately. And this is where I will disagree somewhat, and. I'm watching the replay now on my phone, actually, just trying to get the... Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's just, that technology. Very good. Yes. So what gets what gets me about this is the fact that um, it was Scott Neville who was a uh, defender next to Jordan Holmes, and he was near enough to in line with Lockie Wales where the contact, definite foul, but what makes it a yellow card as opposed to a red for me is the fact that Scott Neville, I honestly think, would have been there to, at the very least, slow up Lockie Wales and deny him a shot on goal, if that makes sense. Or it would that touch wouldn't have led to uh, a clear scoring opportunity for me. I think it was a professional foul, quite cynical, and it, it was a 60-40 thing for me. 60% yellow card, 40% red. If it had have happened the other way with Jamie Young on, let's say... Uh, you know, Juan Lascano or something, something I probably would have well, felt the other... It did happen the other way with Top yeah. Stanley. Yeah, mm. exactly. But to me, I feel like there is a fair and legitimate argument that Holmes didn't deny a goal-scoring opportunity. That's where I look at it and go foul in a yellow card because it was reckless. He was off his line and trying to get to the ball. Wales was just quicker. 
but I don't think it was a clear denial of a goal scoring opportunity. But at that point, it is also just getting down to semantics, Adam. Yeah, I, look, I just I, the thing is, and, and Scott brought up a point, the point about uh, Nikolai Topper Stanley doing it the other end. Is that I, for me where the issue lies and where the differentiation is, is that I, I don't recall, you know, um, this is fo- football I've seen sort of you know across the world almost. I don't recall seeing many occasions where a keeper leaves their box and fouls a, pl- a player who's in a, what looks like to be an obvious goal-scoring chance and not get red-carded. I just think it's one of those things where, where we heard we heard the definition was that that was the reason why he was he was sent off was for denying a goal-scoring opportunity. But I do think, I do believe that there is sort of some interpretation, at least a guideline, that they just, just the referees just do not like contact by goalkeepers on outfield players outside the box. So I even remember one in the um, in the semi-final where Melissa Barbieri in the A-League women's was a, a similar occasion where she's made contact and she with a with a player outside the box and she's been shown a red card. So I think it's one of those things where if it's an outfield player to so say for example you switch roles as Scott Neville who fouls um, who fouls Lucky Wiles, I think Scott Neville gets a yellow. But because it was Jordan Holmes as the keeper who does it, that's the red card. That's that's in my opinion. Yeah, and truth be told, like I've seen quite a few complaints that the Raw, you know, got completely screwed over by Adam Kersey, I think it was, who was the referee. I actually thought, while I disagree with his awarding of the red card, take a look at the other 89 or so minutes of that game. I don't actually think he was all that uh, all that bad to be to be honest. So, oh, so I've just sorry, Scott. I just got one more point on that. Is that Quite frankly, about Adam Kersey, I would rather him actually give that a straight red because I, I I have a very very strong suspicion that if he gives that a yellow, VAR overturns that and upgrades that to a red anyway. Which I think, which is what is not the game is all about. You know how much we and fans across the country detest VAR getting involved. I'd rather back the referee and say if that's his opinion, then you know what I can live with it, even if it's against my team, quote unquote. I can live with that rather than VAR over, overturning him and his um and his call. Yeah, that that does make that does make sense. And like we we were talking about it um in the second half on Saturday night, where I I honestly feel like if it was a different referee, one and you know, or maybe just Adam Kersey on a different day, I honestly feel like it was one of those things where it could very easily have been a yellow card. And if it was a different VAR uh, operator in the box. They could have very easily said, yeah, you know what, Neville was there, he was flying back and would have at least been there to cover. So I feel like it wasn't a clear decision one way or another. And, you know, that's one of those calls where that's that's how I can make my peace with that uh, decision in the end. Yeah, I tend to agree with both of you. So I think Adam Kersey had a pretty good game, didn't he? In difficult circumstances, there's a lot of things happening in that game that he had to deal with penalties, goals disallowed and all the rest. So he had a lot he had to deal with, so he did pretty well and I also agree with Adam, you know my thoughts on the VAR. I would much rather the referee make his decision, but the VAR would have stepped in and said, we recommend an upgrade to a red card for our last man foul. So I think it's pretty clear what would have happened if he didn't give it. But as we move on away from that discussion, James, I don't think the Raw handled it well at all, actually. You could see for the next mm. 10 minutes after the red card to the half-time break, they were rattled, weren't they? And you could see it. They conceded one goal, which was ruled out for, for offside in the build-up. They also conceded the equaliser, which was a free header on the edge of the six-yard box from a corner, which I know Warren Moon wasn't overly pleased with the defending off when we spoke to him in the press conference, but you could see it, it rattled them, didn't it? 
they were clearly still frustrated with the decision and they just needed to get to half time and unfortunately they didn't get to half time the goal ahead because they did if they got to the break half time they could have re right, reassessed and composed themselves and all the rest of it maybe it could have been a different game but the fact that Western United got the equaliser so quickly that really set them up quite nicely into the second half yeah and there was, and there really isn't a whole lot they could have done about that in the end either because they, they just look like they lost their heads a little bit uh, marking on that corner as I think my uh, back, back of the uh, room producer might be coming onto the microphone as well uh, but overall, I think it's just such a, yeah, it's a frustrating way to handle that as well. And you could see that it was a really emotional game from all parties um, because there were so many reunions taking place. It was Aloisi's uh, first trip to Southeast Queensland since his departure uh, as, as an opposing coach. Um, you know, Dylan Wenzel Halls came back after he left the uh, Roar at the end of last season. And while I have nothing against Dylan Wenzel Halls, I did love the Dens chant during the game, suggesting that he was a not-as-good version of Alex Parsons. That that did make me laugh, and full credit to the Den on that. But you also got to see Dylan Wenzel-Halls at his uh, pot-stirring best, I think is the PG description of that, Adam, where he, uh, especially in his sub, uh, made a rugby tackle and then took a bow to the crowd. <laughs> uh, look, at that. it's at the end of the day, you know, all you can do is... Um... Is uh, sort of laugh at both sides. And that's, I think that's what's so, what's actually good about that. You know, it wasn't too, um, too vehement. I think there's still a lot of respect for, especially for John Aloisi and Jamie Young, uh, from, from what we noticed from our perch at, uh, at Morton Daly Stadium. And, uh, like I said, like a bit of banter, but, uh, but yeah, look, I think yeah, Dylan. Obviously, I think I think we all sort of agreed, and when it happened, that for his career trajectory, he probably needed to move. And um, he's probably not getting the minutes he thought he would. Um, I think I, I think uh, Alexander Priyovich, I think, is a very, very good striker, uh, as, as he showed. So, But maybe, um, like I said, I think still, Dylan's still getting a, lot, a few minutes um, at West United. I think, I think as a player, I think he'll, he'll greatly improve on that. But, uh, yeah, the bow was uh, pretty good. It was peak Dylan, wasn't it? We loved that sort of stuff from him when he was up here at the Royal, the whole grabbing of the mullet from Ryan, Ryan Grant and all the rest of it. But that's... What do you expect of him? But Donald Lucy did get a bit of a round of applause when he came over to the to the um, touchline before kickoff, which was nice to see. And I think Jamie Young took a lot of the um, attention off both of them, didn't he, after his early mistake? <laughs> yeah. And they probably caught, they, not that they were glad to go a goal down, but he certainly took the attention away from away from both their returns. Well, look, not to talk too much about Western United, but it really was a full Jamie Young experience over the course of 95 minutes where bit of a shaky start much like his uh 2014-15-ish season with the raw and then he just pulled off some absolutely phenomenal saves much to the frustration of pretty much everyone in morton daly stadium on saturday night we'll keep moving on though and say yeah so it was 1-1 for the raw and i think we were talking maybe just before the hour mark thinking it's not the worst before it's not like the most one-sided game western united doing what they could but in the end, they took a uh, lead through a Scott Neville own goal, which felt like a very, very similar passage of play to Kai Truen's own goal against Melbourne City. And uh, then from there, the Raw just decided to... Well, the Raw were forced to go and chase the result. And they did just that with the introduction. Beg your pardon. Um, Cyrus Demi, Matty Steinman and Nick Olsen came on. And those guys really were the definition of impact subs, I felt, because they did start to put the Raw in the ascendancy as they tried frantically to try and get themselves 
back in the match. Unfortunately, Priovic did get his goal where it was just... I don't. I almost want to say, like, they kind of just lost track of uh, their markings at a set-piece, Scott. Yeah, they were pushing forward, unfortunately, weren't they? And they were in attack, attack mindset, but it was a quick free kick that they scored their third goal. And at that point, unfortunately, the game was done. You almost wish that the penalty had happened, which Joe Shea stepped up and scored, had happened just before that, because that really would have set up a, gr- a grandstand finish, wouldn't it, if they hadn't been able to get the goal, get back to two all, because the Raw were really on the attack in, this, in the second half. Right? They had a lot of lot of opportunities on the counter-attack. Cyrus Demi making good runs in behind Nick Olsen as well. They had three or four really good shots on target from the edge of the area. Unfortunately, they were straight at Jamie Young, but that third goal, that just, that just finished the game off, unfortunately, didn't it? Because even... If they hadn't got the, got the equaliser before the third goal had gone in, it would have been a completely different game, obviously, but the Raw did push forward, and as we said, there's a lot of positives to take out of it from a Brisbane perspective, despite the fact that they obviously lost the game. The thing that really stood out to me, and we'll go to you on this, Adam, it didn't feel like it was an 11-on-10 performance for the Raw for over an hour, where... When they needed to go and really get after the Western United defence, they found holes to try and exploit. And, you know, were it not for a couple of good saves, a missed chance, it could very easily have uh, been a leveller and possibly 3-3. And they finished the stronger as well. It's, it's interesting. Um, this came up uh, in John Aloisi's press conference that, um, that that he feels as though that sometimes 11 v 10 um, or is not always the um, what's the word I'm trying to look for? It's, it's not always the you know, desirable effort. You, know, you you practice so so much, you know, you, you train so much eleven v eleven, and sometimes when you get that man advantage, uh, players do start to become tight. That it seems to be more expectation that they're going to run over top, which means that players sometimes do things that are out of character, not within the game plan and whatnot, and. And sometimes it does um, it does impact where the team with ten who seem to you know obviously with adversity, especially if they're behind, seem to sort of rally a little bit. So obviously you got to, that there's that sort of they eventually you know, they got two goals in front with you know with less than five to go, which pretty much settled. But up until then, uh, Royal were were knocking on the door, and I think that was more of a case of Western United while they were in control of the game, but uh, but but yeah they. Um, it was a case of it wasn't so sell and um, funnily enough, we we're talking about it um, on Saturday night that uh, John Allen was his size, and we saw it with his his past Raw sides. We'd always wonder why would even when the Raw would get get advantage, have have eleven on ten, that they didn't seem to be able to put teams away. I think I think it's sort of a, a um, little sort of insight sometimes to John Allen coaching style that you know, ten players, ten v eleven, you know, with the advantage is not always preferable. Yeah, and truth be told, I, from what I saw after the game as well from him was he didn't look all that pleased with the manner of the victory by the looks of it. I think he was happy to get away with three points. This game obviously would have meant quite a bit to him given his history with the Raw. But yeah, I I honestly don't think based on some of his reactions he was entirely pleased with how nervy that that ending would be because I, and I... I'd make, I'll be completely honest with you. I feel like if that game had another four or five minutes of stoppage time added on, I get the feeling the Raw would have found a way to score an equaliser because they were creating plenty of chances. He's seen it all before, hasn't he, John Lewis? up here in his time. The Raw scored plenty of late goals as well, so certainly maybe that was in the back of his mind. I mean, they were certainly desperate for the full-time whistle, weren't they, which was 
a testament to the Raw, given the fact they were the te- they were the team down a player for an hour, and it was the opposition who were desperate for the full time whistle. But I do think that he was he actually played that down, James. Actually, when we because Adam asked him that question in the press conference about your return to Brisbane, does it mean anything extra to you? And he's he he just battered us like to know it was just another game for me. So uh, maybe maybe that's not the case as you're vehemently shaking your head. But that's the way he kind of answered the question. But I have to think that I know he he didn't. He left on his own terms up here, but he, it's always the way that when you return to play against or coach against your former side, you always want to make a point. So, despite him saying that, I'm sure it did mean more to him. But he batted that question aside. Yeah, looking at the way he and Jamie Young and uh, Wenzel Halls, because they were all the ones making their return, you could tell this one meant something more to them. And above all else, these guys are still human. They do have emotions when it comes to returning to their former homes as well. So. Well, I know he joked that Jamie Young certainly did. It affected him after <laughs> his, after his uncharacteristic air after two minutes. So, um, he, he took the, he took that with, uh, with great humour. But um, but yeah, it's uh, look, you're right. It's, it is natural, and, and you know, at the end of the day, he's probably he's not probably not going to confess. Well, I say, oh yeah, I was nervous as all hell going back to Brisbane. So, but um, yeah, you, you take that on face value. But uh, no, I, but yeah, I think that might have been a bit of a diplomatic response from Aloisi. But yeah, I think. Yeah, anyway, we'll move on uh, from a raw perspective as well. So we've kind of jumped back and forth over the last 20 or so minutes. Let's finish this off uh, with the raw perspective on the game and go to what Warren Moon had to say in the post-game press conference. Yeah, look, incredibly proud of my team. You know, I don't think any other side in the A-League has that type of hard work and resilience in them. And I say that because we played a side tonight second who weren't tracking runners in that last 10 minutes and and were beaten and we were the ones running over the top of them, you know. So um, I'm incredibly proud of them, you know, and uh, we are not where we want to be as a club on the table, but there's a lot to be proud of and a lot I like about this group, and, and tonight we show that. i got to ask you about the Red Cavalry report. <sighs> don't think it was, but obviously I'm going to say that because I'm a coach of Prison Raw. Uh, I think that happens over the park. Minimal contact, people look for decisions and I think he looked for that and I think uh, it was a feather touch and he's gone down making the most of it and uh, I believe it should have been looked at to be overturned but that's just me um, I could be wrong that, that's how I saw it live so uh, the second goal in a week you can see the club set pieces that's what you're gonna have to have a bit of a look at well yeah we you know we can see two from set pieces tonight you know a free kick and, and a corner and it's something that is you know it's, it's something we need to address really quickly but you know I, I probably Add to the equaliser, we went down to 10 men and, and, and the corner came from a clearance from Tom where he was stamped on directly in the contact after, but it, it wasn't called a foul and it wasn't reviewed. And um, you know, I know they can't go back for it, but it should have been spotted. You know, Tom's been brave, cleared the ball, and then he's got stamped on, on his quad. And anywhere over the park, that's a foul, possibly a yellow card as well. And, um, and it's play on, it's a corner, and it's 1 1. So we feel, we feel some decisions probably didn't go our way tonight, and um, we're disappointed. So that was Warren Moon, and when I asked you guys on Saturday night, how was he, Scott, you were saying he wasn't as disappointed as perhaps uh, he might have, he could have been. He was disappointed, but he wasn't as frustrated and as angry as you That's what, the yeah. coach would have been in that situation. He was, he was honestly, he was more, I think he was frustrated about the fact that they had so many opportunities and they weren't able to capitalise on them as opposed to anything else. Because again, as you heard from him there at the beginning of that clip, he was really happy with the way the side fought on and can create opportunities. So I think that 
the fact they created those chances again and weren't able to take them probably frustrated him more than anything else. Adam? Yeah, I, I think the most disappointing thing, and even the sort of after the press conference finished, it was the fact that was the uh, statistic that um, AAP's Joey Lynch actually brought up in the press conference was that uh, Raw out, outshot Western United nine go, nine to three. So, th- yeah, three times the amount of shots, and that that was probably the one aspect that probably disappointed him the most. I think was the fact is that the Raw had opportunities. But they just couldn't seal. And there was even one where I know we lamented that, you know, it was Cyrus Demi, who, you know, late late in the, late in the game had a shot um, that went straight to Jamie Young. It was only it was only six days previously, you know, at Underwood Park that we saw him at, in pretty much the exact same position. Absolutely no one to, to get to get past Carl, Carl Saliadere of Logan Lightning. So it's almost a case of, yeah, look, the levels are extremely different. You know, go from MPL Queensland up to, you know, A-League. But the technique is still there. So we know Cyrus can do it. It's just he needs to find the confidence to do it. And I think a lot of those young players, I think that's the lesson that will come out of it, is that a lot of these young players, you know, they've got to... They just need confidence. I think Cyrus Demi especially, he gets on the score sheet. I reckon that may take him to a whole new level. So I think it's a confidence issue with him at the moment. Yeah, he just needs a goal, doesn't he, James? He just needs to get the yeah. first goal in the A-League. I know he got three in the Cup against Lions. He just needs that A-League goal, and then he'll be he'll be flying. It almost feels... Be, be a bit like Henry Hall, I think. Like with Henry Hall, he got that first one. And I said, now he, now he scored four, so... Yeah, and um, that, that was a really frustrating thing about it, too, is where... Demi has had had these chances and you just know it is going to result probably in that massive confidence boost as well where if he goes and buries that chance it, like you, you know what that would do for his confidence as well where it does feel like he's looking a lot more settled when he comes onto the pitch compared to what we saw in round one against Melbourne City and early on when he was filling in for the injured uh, or still returning to health Juan Lascano where now he's able to use I think he's got a little bit more pace to him than Lascano, and he can really get after the tired uh, defence as well. And just having that mental, like the mental reps of being on the pitch, just note that one last chance, that one chance is all that he needs, and hopefully it comes before too long, Scott. Yeah, absolutely. I'd almost, just for him, I'd, if the Roar are comfortably up in a game and they get a penalty, I'd almost give him the penalty. If they're like 2 0 up in a game, just give him a penalty, let him take that, put it in the back of the because he scored, scored plenty of penalties last year for the Roar in the NPL. So, just, again, any sort of goal, it doesn't matter, it doesn't have to be the sort of goals he scores in the NPL. Any sort of goal will just give him the confidence that he can contribute at this level. And once he gets the first one, I think it'll be a, I think it'll be a flow-on effect. Mm-hmm. Much like Henry Hoare, as Adam pointed out. Yeah, and the stat that uh, Joey Lynch brought up, nine shots to three, I will probably shots say... shots on target, by the way. Shots on target, yeah. I will say there were a couple of shots that I remember might not have been the most challenging for Jamie Young or shots from range that were straight at him. So probably one of those times where you might actually need one of those advanced stats like at XG or something to talk about the actual likelihood of scoring. But no, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying like there might be there might be a little bit more context to it than just the raw numbers. Anyway, we should probably uh, move on and we'll wrap up this with the player of the year votes, which is my turn. So as I mentioned, Jack King at three points. I thought that was his best performance of the season uh, for the Raw. Jay O'Shea, he was everywhere when they were trying to pull back from behind. And then one point for Tom Aldred, who it was a bit of a shaky 
day at the back here and there, but when they needed someone to make a key intervention, he seemed to be the man for the job, and it's good to see him returning to fitness after what had been a bit of a nightmare early on in the year for him um, returning to health. Now, quick breakdown of the news uh, from the A-League women's. Annie Haffenden is off to Sweden, Adam. Yes, she's off to um, Alitan, which is the second division, uh, to Vakcho. Um, so that, that's probably a probably a good move um, for that. You know, it's it, it's experience overseas, even though it's a second division in Sweden, um, which means that you know, being in you know an overseas player, she'll she'll get plenty of minutes. So I think she'll only get better because I think as the season went on in in the A League women's here. I think she she'll start to get better. She'll start to get you know more confident. So look, any any exposure overseas to a different environment, I think um, she'll be better. And look, fingers crossed that she comes back to the raw after her stint. And yeah, and that was pretty much what the uh, Raw squad would be hoping to do for next season as well. Is return a lot of those key players because the young the young players that did get a shot did seem to grow into their role as well. So hopefully that is something that um, they can build on as well, Scott. Yeah, again, red card against Sydney away aside, Annie Haffenden had an outstanding year for the Raw in her first taste of A League women's opportunity, and it's great. It's, it's exactly what you want: is that a young player gets her opportunity, and then excels and then moves on to a club overseas which I, I think event, I think she will come back and play in the A-League again next year because I think I, don't, I think the season's allow for that don't they in Scandinavia so I think it's mm. just about to play for the Raw as well so that's a really good thing it's also a big year coming up obviously for the women's national teams it's not, not just the women's World Cup I think there's an under 20 World Cup as well which Annie, Annie happened and may very well have a chance of being involved in so it's a good opportunity for her to go test herself overseas and it'll only improve her there's no doubt about that Definitely. And um, one thing that did actually stand out to me from watching the A-League Women's Grand Final uh, yesterday between Sydney FC and Melbourne Victory, aside from the fact that Casey Dumont is probably as tough as any ice hockey player I've ever seen, if not tougher, because he got the battering in that game and was far and away the best player on the pitch. Um, Yeah, is uh, the fact that in the interviews after the game, uh, the Sydney FC players were saying, this squad will largely be back once again. So if you're looking for the level the Raw have to get to, it seems like it will be that Sydney FC uh, pace setters for much of the season. They've got to match the great yeah. Jeff Hopkins. That's all they have to match. Once again, coaches aside to, to a grand final. That's his fourth or fifth, I think, now, from memory. Fifth. So, fifth. so he's an unbelievable coach in the other women's Disney. He's a fantastic job. And obviously spearheaded the Raw in the early days as well. Adam? Yeah, um, yeah. Look, I think it's probably the, the most uh, likable thing about Melbourne Victory. I think, especially on the women's side, is uh, is Jeff Hopkins. I think we always um, we always wish him well. And as, as Scott always says, I'll give him credit for that. You never be against him, and uh, he's come up trumps again. Because um, Melbourne Victory, they looked at all at sea, you know, at certain points of this season. Um, but to come back and, and you know, defend their championship, I think, is a fantastic effort. And this one actually felt like it was a really like strong effort at the back and again just save after save after save from uh, Dumont just to deny what was a pretty damn good Sydney attack as well so she Casey Dumont she, she's a very um, I'm not going to say underrated because I think people know her quality but she's she's been around for a very very long time um, a very durable player former Raw player um, as of well of course she plays and, for victory now yeah <laughs> but, um, but yeah so it's no shock to see her um, see us, yeah, you know, still excelling at the top level, at least in this country. Yeah. So, um, 
that is, yeah, our wrap of the A-League women's season then and there. Adam? All right, sorry, sorry, just, just uh, one more bit of uh, news as well, speaking about uh, women's so national teams. Um, obviously, there were six players from the QIS oh, okay. that were selected uh, for the uh, Junior Matildas squad, which I think the, is, is the under-17s at the moment. Those players are Kate Bernertz-Ben, Holly Bernertz-Ben, Charlie Gibson, Mackenzie Nielsen, Sarah Donahue, and Ella O'Grady. So that, I think they all will feature in the MPL women's at some point, but at the moment they're off to Canberra to join uh, Ray Downer, Dower, um, for, for the uh, Junior Matilda's camp. So it's a, to, I think 2005 um, they're born. So I think, what's that? My maths is, yeah, under 17. So obviously uh, six, six Queensland players with the night of the future. There we go. So what, and what else is new about Queensland players? That'll do. Um, yes, so uh, the other news item we will get to just quickly as we get ready for uh, Liam and Alex and part two of the show with the Queensland Socceroos fans. Uh, the final A-League fixtures uh, were released for the men's competition with a few changes for the Raw. We were wondering how they were going to fit all of these catch-up games in before the end of the season, end of the regular season on May 1st. And well, it turns out they won't. There's uh, Now, the uh, regular season will conclude on May the 10th with the Raw hosting Sydney FC at Mondaley Stadium. The other big change for Brisbane is the fact that um, the Anzac Day game now will be against Melbourne Victory, Scott. Yes, obviously Sydney FC, who were the originally planned opponent, they are in the Champions League and they won't be around for that. So they had to find an alternative opponent. And Melbourne Victory is a very good one, isn't it? So it'll be, it'll be an interesting game. Melbourne Victory games are always some of the most attended games up here for here in Brisbane. And I'm sure they'll be, given it's a, a Monday of a long weekend, it'll be a... Um, sizable Melbourne victory contingent in your way bay as well you would imagine and it's a, it's a, it was a good occasion they did this three years ago the Raw unfortunately the last couple of years for reasons beyond their control they haven't been able to to replicate it despite the fact they planned it wasn't able to get it done it'll be good to have it back and I think it's a good crowd I know the season hasn't necessarily gone the way everyone would have hoped but hopefully they can get out and celebrate the day and also see some good football between two sides which typically put on some good matches up here between Brisbane and Melbourne, don't they? So I think it's a good opponent and hopefully it'll be a good occasion. And on that, Adam, as well, I think we were talking just before we start recording and while the Raw's finals hopes aren't necessarily, you know, what you would call alive right now, it's still not out of the question with quite a few fixtures still be played. Nine games um, and only seven points to make up on sixth place Sydney. You really do hope that with a fair few midweek home games coming up as well or public holiday home games you really just want as many of these games as possible to have a meaning as the raw chase for finals football. Yeah, like, uh, I think at the moment, uh, the, the Raw's finals chances are probably not in their hands at the moment. Um, they're going to need some results and they're going to need some, and they're going to need some other teams to, to uh, sort of, you know, start, you know, struggling a bit. And look, I think even Anzac Day could be a point where, you know, Melbourne Victory are on the bubble at the moment. So, yeah, you know, it'd be make, make a really you know, great occasion if Brisbane Raw could actually upset the apple cart on Anzac Day and potentially knock over um, Melbourne Victory in their finals chances. So, I think, yeah, these games, and um, hopefully they still have some meaning, even, even if it means the Raw sort of, you know, uh, playing spoiler. Definitely. All right. Um, speaking of these home games coming up, there is one this Wednesday. The Raw will be taking on the Wellington Phoenix in a game that was originally meant to be played earlier this season. I actually forget 
when it was originally scheduled for. And then at home to Newcastle. Now, when we were recording the show last week, we spoke about the need to just get through the games against the pace setters in the A-League men's. This time around, Scott, I kind of feel like you'd need to get all six points from these games against what will be two very motivated and tough opponents. I'll go further. They need seven out of nine of the next three games. They've got Western Sydney away after that as well. So those, those next three games, they need a minimum of seven points to close the gap, don't they? They've played Wellington up here recently. It was only about a week or so ago they played Wellington and they won the game by two goals to one. So they need to replicate that. They need to beat Newcastle at home, which hasn't necessarily been a fixture that have done very well in actually over the years. <laughs> it's normally the away side who wins those games. So they're going to have to correct that, beat Wellington, correct that against Newcastle, and then get something away to Western Sydney as well to start closing the gap. These are the games here. These This next week, it, the last week was about seeing where they're at, and they're a little little ways behind the teams at the top. These This week, it's about they need the points by any means necessary. It doesn't matter if it's a free-flowing 5-0 win or a scrappy 1-0 win, James. It doesn't matter. They just need the points, and I think they can. I think they can beat Wellington. Newcastle might be a different story because they're playing pretty well this year. But I think that these games are must-win games, aren't they? Without a doubt, Adam. Yeah, I, I agree, with Scott. I think uh, if the Raw are going to make a move, now's the time. And no more losses. They need. They need to make these. Uh, these home games count uh, because we know, even though they they put the monkey off the back as far as the win in Perth. Um, as far as their waveform goes, they, they really need you know, pretty much maximum points in the next three games. Any, any chance of having the final hopes in their own hands. For sure. And it is going to be a big uh, run of fixtures coming up for the Raw over the next month and a bit. And also, actually, the one other thing that I would be looking forward to seeing soon would be the eventual introduction of Connor Chapman, who hopefully will be getting close to match fitness as we get ready for that. All right. That is going to be it for this edition of the Brisbane Football Review. Thank you, Adam. Yep. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you, Scott. This was the cheery edition of the show. <laughs> Get ready for the next one. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you're on the pod- podcast feed, stay tuned. We will have our Socceroos show coming up as well. Uh, if you're listening on Clutch Radio, that will also be aired on there as well. In the meantime, check out our NPL Sunday recap uh, featuring Scott and Adam, and only Scott and Adam, so it'll probably be quite a good one. And... Uh, Yeah, as uh, they bring you all the local action from the National Premier Leagues. And we'll be back with a whole lot more football on the Brisbane Football Review. We'll talk to you then. And Skype is clear.